0: Today, we continue our series, 30 Sayings of the Wise. If you missed out last week, we looked at the first four sayings found in Proverbs. And today, we see a cluster again of four that we're looking at. Looking at these words of wisdom that we can apply to our lives, not just have knowledge about them, but apply them to our lives. And as I was looking at these four verses or these four packages of wisdom, sayings of wisdom, I realize that wisdom does, it leverages our influence. It gives us a chance to influence other people. Many people speak, but few listen. A few people can speak, and many will listen. God has given us a chance as Christ followers put on earth to tell others about Jesus. One of the primary things that you and I should be thinking about all the time is how can we use the platform that God has given us to point people to Jesus Christ? How can we do that? What tools should we use? How can we use our lives? And so our lives are living testimonies of the goodness of Jesus Christ. Proverbs 11 verse 30 says, the fruit of the righteous is a tree of life and one who is wise saves lives. We're here to be on the mission that Jesus began to seek and save the lost. we only going to get one chance on planet earth to influence others and point them to Jesus. Influence takes on the idea, understanding of the shape, To govern, to impact the behavior of someone or something. We get a chance to be an influencer in our world with the way we live our lives, how we go to work, and we're going to see how this unpacks in this passage today. But these four sayings that we'll look at today are going to show you and I how to take wisdom, apply them to our lives, which in turn gives us the opportunity to speak into someone else's life. It's important that we influence our world for Jesus Christ. Grab your Bibles and we're going a to journey today and turn to Proverbs chapter 22. And let's see how we can leverage our influence. If you need a Bible, hold your hand up. Our ushers will be glad to put one in your hand. But turn to Proverbs chapter 22 and we're going to read verses 28 through chapter 23 verse 5. Proverbs 22:28 through 23, verse 5. When you find that, stand with me and we'll read it together. Proverbs chapter 22, verse 28, through Proverbs 23, and verse 5. Let's see how wisdom leverages our influence in the world. Let's begin with verse 28. Ready, read. Do not move an ancient boundary stone set up by your ancestors. Do you see someone skilled in their work? They will serve before kings. They will not serve before officials of low rank. When you sit to dine with the ruler, note well what is before you. And put a knife to your throat if you're given to gluttony. Do not crave his delicacies, for that food is deceptive. Do not wear yourself out to get rich. Do not trust your own cleverness. Cast but a glance at riches and they are gone, for they will surely sprout wings and fly off to the sky like an eagle. You may have a seat. Look back at verse 28. Verse 28 says, Do not move an ancient boundary stone set up by your ancestors. I would say this, I would summarize this by saying this. Take an inch, lose a life. Take an inch of someone's property. Take an inch of what isn't yours. Try to go get something that isn't yours by by ungodly way. Not only will will you gain the property, but you'll lose a life. You'll lose an opportunity to speak into someone's life. So if you take an inch that's not yours, the, the, the end result of that, you lose a life. You lose a neighbor. You lose a chance to speak to someone. So as we look at the influence here, Influencing our neighbors and families, God wants us to leverage our influence to influence them. Don't move an ancient boundary stone. All through the Bible, New Testament, Old Testament, even modern day today, every piece of property that we have was owned by someone else. And someone worked hard to get that property. It's shown. All through Scripture, you'll see they'll set up markers. Today, when you get your your property surveyed, you're about to buy it, they'll put out points and markers at the end of corners of your property so that you know what is your boundary. And so Solomon is saying, don't move someone's property markers. Don't move an ancient boundary that was set up by someone who fought hard to get that property, who bought it, who earned it. Don't take something that's not yours. Don't lose an inch or gain an inch and then lose a life. Family and property were closely linked together all through the Bible. And when you encroach on a neighbor's property, not only have you encroached on their property, you have disrespected them and their name and their heritage. Wisdom says, don't take what isn't yours. Assume the best about your neighbors before you move into a place that you're about to move into. Don't let any dispute surface over land where you lose the ability to talk to your neighbor and influence your neighbor. The Bible has a lot to say about our neighbors. The Bible has a lot to say about how to live in love and so that we can gain the influence of our neighbors. Listen to some of these Proverbs that are recorded, that Solomon recorded. He says this in regards to, to neighbors. Proverbs twenty five seventeen. just listen. It says this, seldom set foot in your neighbor's house too much of you and they will hate you. Great words of wisdom there. Don't be knocking at their door and showing up when they don't want you there. Too much of you and they will hate you. Why does he tell us that? We, everything we do Everything that we build, everything that we buy, every everything that that's connected to a decision that we make, at the end of that is a relationship. And we're here to point people to Jesus. We're here to make disciples. And so Solomon is saying, "Listen, don't." Overuse your neighbor. Don't show up too much or they will hate you. We must have an opportunity to influence our roommates, someone in our hall at college, someone someone that lives across the street from us, our neighbors. Use that influence. Don't encroach on them too often. Proverbs also says this in Proverbs 27 and verse 4. Anyone, a neighbor, who loudly blesses his neighbor early in the morning it will be taken as a curse. So what's that mean? I mean, very practical. If you live close to someone, don't get up in the morning and carry loud conversations that gets them out of bed. Don't crank your car radio at 3 a.m. in the morning and say, oh, here's some worship music. Be blessed by this. No, don't get up and loudly bless your neighbor and say, good morning. No, be a neighbor that doesn't infringe, encroach, on their boundary, encroach on their land, encroach on their time. other words, you'll lose an opportunity to speak or influence their lives. Proverbs 3 and verse 30 says this, Do not accuse anyone for no reason when they have not done you no harm. So if you have a neighbor and you're moving in, always assume the best about them. Let me give you an example of an ancient boundary stone. When Ann and I purchased the, the land that we built our house on in New Paris on County Road 146, roughly about 10 years ago, we did what every person does that goes to buy a piece of land. We had it surveyed. The builders were building the land and, or building the home and and, and, and so as we're building this home, I, I decided I'm going to go out and take a look at the boundary markers at the edge of our property. And so I looked out front, oh, it goes here. And I, I looked over on the other side, oh, it goes here. And I said, I'm going to walk to the boundary. Now, to the, to the property uh, near us, there was already a home that existed. And, and the property on the other side of us was, was, was farm field, which it still is. And, and so I walked our property line excited. And I noticed when I got to the end of our property... I walked to the end of our property and I noticed that where the boundary marker was for Brown's, that I looked at my neighbor's property and I noticed that they were mowing about a 10 yard slice the whole way down of our property. It's like, wow, they encroached on our property. You know, I could not make a decision. I remember processing and making this decision that moment and even you know, chatting with Dan about it. Came back and I realized that I have a decision to make here. I could get really upset and say, what are you doing? You're mowing my property. Or I could say, hey, they're mowing 10 yards of our property. (laughs) Praise God, huh? So I chose the wise route that said, hey, hey, we got a neighbor that's mowing our property. Never said a word to them. It was interesting what unpacked out of that was one day after we moved in and I mean, the markers are pretty clear. I mean, they they paint them orange, and there's this rebar that sticks out of the ground, and it's pretty obvious that that's the boundary marker. My neighbor came to me, and he says, hey, I, I noticed... By the way, we have great neighbors, but I could have ruined it early. Um, he, he said, hey, I noticed that the boundary marker is, like, over here on our property. He said, I, I didn't realize that when we set this up here that... We set it up in such a way, thinking that the boundary marker is there. And I remember saying this to you, or to him saying, I said, that's okay, you get to mow my property. (laughs) Don't move an ancient boundary stone and get upset at what? Because when you really think about it, we're going to live there, and they're going to live there, and the reality is, we're going to live next to them for a very long time. And there's a relationship there that's more important than someone getting their John Deere and maybe cutting through our property and not keeping the line straight. Solomon says, don't move an ancient boundary stone because if you encroach on someone's property without them knowing it, then you lose the influence to speak Jesus into their life. In other words... This wise saying is reminding us that it's always best to take the high road at any disagreement with your neighbor. Do it with integrity. What you don't see with your eyes, don't witness with your mouth. Like, don't assume. Well, they knew that. I bet they knew that when they put that thing there. I bet they knew that when they started moaning. I bet they knew. No, always assume the best about people until the best leaves the room. What do you do when you notice something? Do you automatically assume the worst or do you assume the best? Sometimes it's best to say nothing and thought a fool one has said than to open your mouth and remove all doubt. There's a lot of wisdom in that statement. So what are some practical ways? Like, how do we live that out today? How do we go and say, okay, Jim, how can we live out? Do not move an ancient boundary stone set up by your ancestors. Here's a very, very practical way. Don't plant your trees so that they encroach on your neighbors. You know, I know how human beings can think. I'm going to plant my trees on the property line. And then when my trees grow on the property line, they're going to go the whole way over there. And I got more land. Listen, if that's why you're planting your trees on the property line so that you can have more land, you will lose the influence to speak into your neighbor's life. Why not move over so that when your tree grows, it's still on the property line, but continue to mow the property line? These things are important. You'd be surprised what is happening in our world, in our community right now, because someone has encroached on someone's property line. They've lost the opportunity to speak into someone's life. I would also say this. What's another way to, to be good neighbors? Go the extra mile and keep the property clean for them too. Like if you have a piece of ground and it's next to them or you're living in the city and there's a sidewalk in between or, or, or you're shoveling your sidewalk out front, why not go and shovel theirs too? I've never for the life of me understood if someone has a snowblower and they do 20 yards of their sidewalk and they stop right here and there's a neighbor that has 20 yards, why don't you just go the next 20 yards? Shouldn't we love our neighbors? Always look for an opportunity to speak into someone's life. If you have a neighbor that's a lawn Nazi, do your best to keep your lawn good too. Why? It gives you a chance to speak into their life. Because when your dandelions blow over to their yard, they don't like that. You've lost the opportunity to. It might cost you more money, but listen to me. At the end of that is a relationship. Relationship. And we're here to influence people. Make sure you keep your integrity in mind when you think about property because if you win the chance to mow more inches, you could lose the chance to share Jesus with them. When it comes to all these kinds of issues, there are so many people who have just not thought this through in a wise way. And Solomon is saying, do not... Move an ancient boundary stone set up by your ancestors. And here's what happens if you've begun to encroach. If you've begun to to assume the worst. Many have drunk from the well of regret, but few have walked away satisfied. You might get what you want. You might get that, that, all that property. You might get that extra sanction. Cin- cin- you might have your trees growing on their property instead of their trees growing on your property, but you might have lost a relationship in the midst of it. I really encourage you to think that through. Something as simple as where you plant your trees is very important. It could be the most godly thing that you've ever done. They will never listen to you again if you have lost the opportunity because of your poor integrity decisions as a neighbor. Be a good neighbor. Look at the next saying that that Solomon has given us. Look at number 29. Verse 29, he says, Do you see someone skilled in their work? They will serve before what? What's the word? Kings. They will not serve before officials of what kind of rank? Look at that. Do you do you see someone skilled in their work? They will serve before kings. They will not serve before officials of low rank. I will say it this way. Sometimes there is not a better way. Sometimes there is only the hard way. We live in a world that tries to find shortcuts to everything. Sometimes the best way to get through something is just working hard at it. We all know that the statement that says work smarter and not harder, I think that's hogwash. Here's why. I think we should work harder and smarter. Somehow we think we don't have to work, that we can, that, that, that somehow we, we can get to a place where we're smarter and we don't have to work. I, I don't see that in Scripture where any place where the Bible says not work hard at something, give everything we got, use all of your effort in it. So he says, if you want to gain the favor of your boss, then work hard at your craft. You and I should be the best at what we do as Christ followers. I mean that with all of my heart. there should be a distinct difference between a businessman that's a believer that has the Holy Spirit in him. There should be a distinct difference as a coach who has the Holy Spirit in him and someone who doesn't. There should be a distinct difference as a mom who has the Holy Spirit in them as a mom that doesn't. There should be a distinct difference as a welder, as a school teacher, as a as a carpenter, whatever it is, a businessman, whatever. There should be a distinct difference because you and I have the Holy Spirit spirit living in us. We have an unfair advantage. We should utilize that so that we get an influence in the marketplace. Work hard at your craft in such a way that it gets noticed. Paul said it this way in Colossians 3.23. And whatever you do, work as though you're working for the Lord. When you are punching in, basically, you are punching in for Jesus Christ. Your work ethic will be noticed in the workplace. And when it is, you will be promoted because of your skill and your diligence and your work ethic. Your workplace attitude and work ethic will give you a voice to speak and influence others for Jesus. By the way, it is hard to be the person who never gives up. Have you ever seen someone in the workplace? We're going to figure this out. Nah, no, just give up. Just, just throw it away. No, no, no. Let's figure. Someone, blood and sweat and tears going after some. We should give everything we have. Everything. We should be the best running backs in football. We should be the, the best runners in track. We should, we should be the, the best artists in the world because we have this unfair advantage. Plus, it gives us an opportunity to have influence because God will elevate us and promote us if we're giving him the glory. Be faithful in the little things and he'll let you be faithful in much. Don't ever expect anything from your workers that you aren't willing to do yourself. We've heard this say, you've probably heard this a hundred thousand times and I have too, practice makes perfect. That's not true. Perfect practice makes perfect. If you just practice something and continue to do it the wrong way over and over and over and over and like you might just practice. I keep practicing. I keep practicing shoot my jump shots like that. I'm really good at trying to practice this. Listen, if you're not doing in a correct way, if you're not doing the, the, the best grip, if you're not thought it through and you're not practicing a perfect way, you will not produce perfect. We understand what that perfect means. We'll never be perfect. But you will not produce it in a way that's best. Some of us need to rethink everything that we're doing. Or if we don't, we'll end up with the same results. I believe this with all of my heart, that no one has ever drowned from their own sweat. Like, I had to sweat. Listen, God says, work hard at what you're doing. Even this proverb says, when you hone your craft, when you're skilled in your work, you will get noticed and you will get promoted, not for your glory, so that... You get glory, but it promotes you. It allows you to have greater influence with different people, and you will not be in a low rank because no one wants someone in the workplace that's not giving their all, that doesn't believe it. And it begins with our attitudes when you walk. If you're walking into the workplace and all you're doing is complaining about your bosses, all you're doing is complaining about machines, all you're doing is complaining about that person has that job, I wish I had that, all you're doing is complaining about your hours. Listen, you will never have influence in the workplace and God will not promote an attitude like that. Make the workplace a better place than it was before you got there. Be a lifelong learner of your skill. I remember backing up. Ann and I got married uh, after we graduated from college in 1988. We moved back to Hagerstown, Maryland. And so I was looking for a job, and she was looking for a job too. And my aptitude is, you know, I enjoy working with my hands. And I found a job working in a construction company as a carpenter. Got hired on to a place called Quality Homes. It was, quite frankly the best builder in Hagerstown, Maryland. God gave me an opportunity to come into a, a place that had skilled craftsmen, some of the best craftsmen in Hagerstown. He gave me an opportunity to stand alongside and work with men who knew how to build a home, who, who built some of the most exquisite homes, and they were in Hagerstown, Maryland. God placed me in there. And I realized that he oppor- had given me an opportunity to become a carpenter. And so you know what I did? I went out and bought the tools I could buy. Second week, I'm on a job. You know what I did? I went to the library. You know what I got? I got a book that said how to read blueprints. Why? Because I wanted to, just to, to hone my skill. I wanted to be able to understand. And I remember grabbing a book on it said how to, to take a framing square and cut rafters how to understand, to get the pitch and run and put the framing square ears on. You could lay it on a a two by 10. You flip it, you turn it, you mark it. And and I could know the rise and run and distance and cut it with the framing square. Why? Because I wanted to hone my craft. I wanted to to be one of the hardest workers. I wanted to get a chance in the marketplace where I was working to show them, I'm going to give everything I got. I'm going to be the best employee you've ever had. Why? So that I have a voice, so that you have a voice to speak. Into life, Do you think your boss is going to give you a voice if you're the one who shows up late and leaves early? No, that's our chance. Wisdom says, hone your craft. You'd be the best at whatever you're doing. You study the films. You become the best at it. And by God's grace, I remember what I found was I was learning stuff. I remember coming home after working and reading like, wow, I never knew that before. And, and, and I'm trying to hone my craft. And by God's grace, he promoted me to a supervision position only because, why? Because God rewards those that are faithful in the little, he gives them much. We should be the hardest, have workers and have the best work ethic. Now, Pull away. Ask a very personal question right now. If I walked into your workplace tomorrow, and I walked down the line, I walked into your home, and I asked your co-workers, so, tell me about them. What kind of worker are they? What might they say about you? Listen, if they're not saying... They're the hardest working group of people. They have the best attitudes here in this, this business. They, I love working with them. They love me. They respect me. They're here early. They're leaving late. They're giving everything they got. Listen, then if they're not saying it, I'll guarantee you they won't listen to you. Wisdom says hone your craft, hone your skill, get good at it so that You sit before rulers, not so that you get glory, but so that God gets greater glory and greater influence in our world. Don't be the person that always replies when challenged to grow. I don't have time for that. Work smarter and harder. No one wants to follow a leader or worker who refuses to get their hands dirty in the journey. Make yourself irreplaceable no matter where you find yourself punching in. Don't be the person who constantly reminds everyone why it won't work and telling all the people why it was a bad idea when it's presented. Think yes instead of thinking no. Are you the person that you're in a meeting and someone says, hey, how about it? Well, I don't ever work. <laughs> well, what? Do, at least give me, give me an option, okay? Have you ever been someone who always just criticized everything, but they never have an option? Don't be that person. Bill Hybels said this in his book on leadership, one of my favorite chapters on calling a file. Bill Hybels is a pastor of Willow Creek Church and Willow Creek Association. He is a, a five, level five leader. And he gave this about attitude and be able to call a foul on someone because of their attitude in the workplace. And he said this, listen to this story. He said, body language often becomes the elephant in the room. The enormous issue everyone can see and hear and smell. And if it's not addressed immediately, everyone suffers, Bill said. If someone is persistent in committing fouls, then I'll stop the meeting and say... We don't have to take any additional group time to tackle this. But you can stay afterwards so we can talk about a few things. Everyone knows what's going to happen after the meeting. Their teammate is going to get some personal coaching. But hopefully everyone also knows my goal is to improve our group dynamics. He said, for years I led a creative team meeting each week. And each week we would kick things off with a brief time of prayer. One of the guys on the team loved to pray. So nearly every week, he would be the one to pray first. This would be fine, Bill says, except that his prayers were deflating and demoralizing to the entire team. He says something like this. Oh, God. Then he says, insert dramatic dramatic pause. (sighs) We are so tired and exhausted and overwhelmed and weary. We all have so much on our plates and none of us really wants to be at this meeting right now, God. But here we are. And so would you please give us the energy to get through it? He said, it frustrated me for months. But it is legal to call foul on prayer, question mark. I decided it was. I pulled him off to the side one afternoon and said, listen, when you talk to God in private, it's perfectly appropriate to do the Psalm 62, 8 thing, pouring out your heart to him. But I want you to ask but I want to ask you to reflect on how wise it is to project your personal misery on the entire group at the beginning of a creative meeting. In my view, your prayers have been so demotivating that I am very close to asking you to help us all by not praying. To say the guy was offended by my comments would be an understatement, Hybo says. The guy responded, who are you to edit my prayers? It was a fair question. You're probably right, I admit it. I can actually edit your prayers. I can't actually edit your prayers or keep you from jumping in during the prayer time. What I can do is disinvite you from the meeting. The choice is yours. But either way, this pattern cannot continue. Are we clear? Even though he stayed quiet. During prayer times after that, I eventually decided to put him on another team. And shortly after that, he left our staff on his own volition. Are you the person that poisons the workplace with, well, that won't work, but never has a creative idea? Are you the person who doesn't give his all? Are you honing your craft and becoming the best at what you can do? I pray that you are. Because we only have one chance on planet Earth. And if you want to have influence in the workplace, then you must be those kind of people who give everything they got and are working as if they're working for the Lord. Can I get like two amens out of that? It is impossible for a man to learn what he thinks he already knows. Have you ever met those people? Yeah, I know, I know. Yeah, I know, I know. No, you don't know. Yeah, yeah, I know. I knew that. I knew, I know. Be a lifelong learner. You know, I'm not the pastor I was, and praise God for that when I began almost 20 years ago. And I'm not the pastor that I can be whenever God calls me home, I have a whole bunch more learning to do. So I, I have to study. I read. I, I pray. I spend time in his word. I'm, I'm, I'm looking at people who've done it, who've done it well, and, and I'm learning from them. And I should never get to a point, nor you should ever get to the point where you figured it all out. You must always be honing your craft so that God gives you a chance to take that influence to the world. Right now in your workplace... What kind of influence do you have? Who is constantly complaining about their bosses? Until God moves you on to somewhere else, hone your craft and give your very best so that you can be promoted and set at the table of the kings and rulers and dignitaries of our world. Otherwise, you will never have more than a low rank and you will not even be heard and have influence there. Study harder, train harder, listen to the Holy Spirit and ask him for advice. Leadership, John Maxwell says, basically is this, is influence. Not influencing so you get the credit, but influencing so God gets glorified. We can be the key influencers in the marketplace. And skilled workers are always a demand in the marketplace. They don't take a back seat to anyone. If you become the best at what you're doing, if you become the best welder, if you become the best painter, if you become the best artist, if you become the best teacher, if you become the best at whatever you're doing, the best photographer, let me tell you, you will always be in demand and you will always have a voice to people and have influence in their lives. So what's the Spirit saying to you today? Are you that person that's, oh, I gotta go to work, punching in on Monday, and I'm glad, I, glad the weekend's here, I get to leave these bums. Listen, you will never have influence in someone's life. Those people that you call bums, they're God-created human beings who need to know about Jesus Christ. And you could be that person to influence them. Plus, the higher up you go, the better chance you get to influence those in lofty places. God is the one who promotes and gives us influence and power. Look at the next. Look at the next saying here. Saying number seven, verse chapter 23, verses one to three. When you sit to dine with a ruler, note well what is before you. And put a knife to your throat. Love this visual image here. If you're given to gluttony. Do not crave his delicacies, for that food is deceptive. Put a knife to your throat if you're given to gluttony. And when you set the dime with a ruler, note well what is before you. Don't go down in order to go up. Let Let me explain that. Don't compromise and be deceived by a ruler, by a boss, by someone above you and say, you know what, I'll do that so that I can go up. Don't go down and go against what Christ would want you to do so you get a promotion. Don't ever do that. Don't ever compromise, because listen to me, at some point, you're going to pay for that. Don't go down and go up. Also, like at the beginning of of verse 1, look what it says. When you sit to dine with a ruler, know well what is before you. It's something I always do when I walk into a setting. Like, if you see me here on Sunday mornings, you know what I do when I come out here? I stand right here, and here's why I stand. I look out across there. I look at faces. Oh, they're back. Oh, they must be struggling. Oh, look at him. He, he's having a good day. I'm scanning the room. Why am I scanning the room? I'm looking, and I'm asking three questions. Every, every place that I go. I did, I did it last night, Ann and I went to a, a wedding reception, and the first thing I did, I sat down. I asked this question. Who is in the room? I'm scanning because it's not about me. Because everything we do is connected. And right I look around. Oh, yeah, I haven't seen them in a while. Oh, it's good to see them. What are they doing here? What are they doing here? Oh, they must know him or her. They must be connected. And then I ask this question. Why? Why did they come? Oh, they, they must have come for this or that. So every, every room I walk into, and even today I walked out, I thought, huh, who's here today? What are they doing here? Why do they come? Every place I go, when I walk into new environment, I sit down and you'll see me. Before I start eating, like most of us, and Gorge, I'm looking around the room. Why? Because if there's someone there that God wants me to talk to, God wants me to influence, I want to have been able to see them before they saw me. Because we're always on mission and we should always be looking. Every room that I walk, I ask those three questions. And you'll see me. I'll sit down and I'll go like this and I'm scanning the room. Why? Because I want to see if there's an opportunity that God wants me to speak to someone, to talk to someone, because we're here to seek and save lost people. So I ask the question, even this wisdom says here, when, you, when, you, when you're invited to sit with your boss, when you're invited to sit with a dignitary, I always say this, note well, note well, it says, look, note well what is before you. Also be humble and never assume anything. Let me explain it this way. Wisdom always asks the hard question in these kind of situations. What is the purpose of this meeting? And why was I invited to the table? Listen, you must know that before walking into a room. You must know that. Always assume the best until the best left the room, though. Be kind to everyone, but vulnerable only to those that are trustworthy. Like, Don't spill your guts to someone you've never met before because you're trying to to flirt your way to the top or get your way to the top. Don't do that. Don't abuse your imitation by making a fool of yourself, Proverbs says here, in your behavior. You are the guest, not the owner. Never take for granted the privilege it could be to influence the owner. So he says, don't gorge yourself. Don't Clutton yourself. So when food comes around, it says this. Listen, just take just enough. Never, listen to me. Don't go back for seconds. Don't be that guy that's standing in line and everyone sees you and sees them. You know, the person in line where their food is just like this. And they're coming back and they, they've been invited. Let me tell you, let me tell you what people do. A smart boss, a smart ruler, a smart coach, a smart leader is looking around the room to see who's disciplined even in their eating. Because discipline in your eating says that there's a pattern of discipline in your life. And that's the kind of person that you want to put in charge. So, when you walk into a room, it says, take a knife through your throat. It's a gluttony. Don't abuse your invitation. Don't make a fool of yourself by overeating. Just say, so they ask you for a second, say, I'm good, thank you. And even if it means you have to stop at Taco Bell on the way home, it's worth it. And before you go, be prayed up and ask the Holy Spirit to guide your thoughts and actions and words. And just because you're there doesn't mean you have to say yes to everything they put in your option package. Now hear me on this. Never leave a dinner party with a dignitary with a full stomach or you will be stuffed full of humble pie. Do you realize the second part of this verse, look what it says. Look look, 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 The second part of the saying... It says, do not crave his delicacies for that food is deceptive. The flip side is this. You have to be careful that you're not being duped by this leader. You have to be careful that he's not trying to butter she's not trying to butter you up to force you to do something that you wouldn't normally do because you're a Christ follower. You should never compromise your convictions to get promoted in the workplace. Did you hear me? So I talk to guys, here's how how it goes. Well, Pastor Jim, you don't understand. I'm in sales. When I'm in sales, we go down to Kentucky and we go down to Louisville and we go over here and we go up north and we go south, we go east, we fly to New York, we fly here. And I have to do this when I'm with these guys. If I don't do this, then, then I don't get the sale. Listen to me, listen to me, listen to me. If the spirit of God is saying no, then you say no too. If you have to go down in order to get up, wisdom says, don't do it. Well, oh, Pastor Jim, you don't understand. This is, this is a client. He's like, he's, he, she's a $7 million client, Pastor Jim. You, you don't understand. And they invited me to this strip club. I'm not going to look much, but I, I got to go. Listen to me. Listen to me. Who are you kidding? If you go down in sin and you think that's what's going to promote you, then you aren't reading the same Bible I'm reading. Or Pastor Jim, I have to go out, and, and Pastor Jim, i got to go against my convictions, and this is the principle, and we talked a little about that. I, I believe it's unwise for me to do this, and when we go out, if I don't do what they're doing, then they won't give me a voice to speak to them, and, and if I don't do what they're doing, then, then I can't have a voice, and I can't make the sale, listen to me, listen to me, don't make the sale then if you're going against the convictions of the Holy Spirit. If you're relying on your ability to get promoted and not God's ability to get promoted, then you're listening to the wrong promoter. Watch out for kings and queens and rulers who are deceptives who try to butter you up to get what they want from you. Solomon says, don't go so far down to embarrass your name and your legacy and your God in order to go up. Never compromise your convictions Plus, in addition to that, gluttony is a sin. Never has any man climbed the ladder of success in God's eyes by sinful cravings. Just the opposite is true. Stand firm. God always honors obedience. He rewards those that honor him. Look at the last wise saying that's here. Look at verse 4 and 5 of chapter 23. Do not wear yourself out to get rich. Do not trust your own cleverness. Cast but a glance at riches and they are gone. For they will surely sprout wings and fly off to the sky like an eagle. Do not wear yourself out to get rich. Seek him first and always. Influence your world by following Christ. Anytime you're trusting in your own self, you're in trouble. I love the definition of cleverness. It, has, it carries this, this, this idea of superficially skillful. You're, clair, you're clever. He's so clever. She's so clever. She is superficially skillful. Your own cleverness or the cleverness of someone else will not get you to where God wants you. If you think that somehow your own cleverness will keep you on the top then your cleverness will leave you crying tomorrow and the riches that you thought were attached to that will be gone, Solomon says. Whatever masters you, controls you. Whatever controls you, writes the checks on your life. Do you want to be controlled by God or do you want to be controlled by man? Way too many people have worn themselves out in the American dream of making money, and they have lost their families and their influence in the world because of it. Matthew 6.33 says, Seek God and all these things will be added to you. All these things are what? Clothing, housing, food, and protection. Do we need any more than that? If we seek God, he will provide, he will promote, he will give us influence, and we have a voice in the community to influence the world. When God promotes you, seize the opportunity. To influence others for Jesus. I believe we should be the greatest influencers in the world, in our skill, and in our craft, and, and, and what he's given us. I pray regularly that God would give me influence. And some people say, well, that's prideful, that's, that's Pastor. Listen to me. I'm not praying because I want notice and attention to me. I want an opportunity while I'm alive to tell as many people about Jesus Christ as I can. And if God can use my calling somehow, or he can use this sinful being to impact the world. You know what? I'm praying for that. One of my prayers has been, when Billy Graham's health began to go south, I, did, I began praying, Lord, let me be the next Billy Graham to reach the world for Jesus Christ. Now, some might say, Jim, that's a very prideful prayer. No, listen to me. Someone's got to reach them. And if I can, praise God, give me the opportunity. Another prayer that I pray regularly, it's a prayer, Lord, Father God, give me a platform in this world to reach men for Jesus Christ because I believe with all of my heart, God, if you get the man, you get the family, you get the family, you get the world, you get the community, and you get the world. And I pray that, not for me, but I just want to see people and men come to Jesus Christ and lead the way they were intended to. I pray for influence that way. You should too in your area. You see, way too many Christ followers have climbed the ladder of success only to realize that at the top it was leaning against the wrong wall. Pastor Mike said that this week. It's a great statement. Now keep this in mind, though. One of the richest men alive said this statement. Keep this in mind. He said, cast but a glance at riches. Think of it, the the richest man alive. And they are gone, and they will surely sprout wings and fly off to the sky like an eagle. The richest man, most likely alive, said, Just cast but a glance. Don't put your security on, in wealth. But listen to me, let me also pull away and say, There is nothing sinful when God blesses someone who calls themselves a Christ follower. Now listen, if you jump on the judgment train because you see someone driving a vehicle that costs more than yours costs, or you see someone, or you jump on the judgment train because someone has a bigger house than you. If you jump on the judgment train because you see them buying something that you don't have. Listen to me. If, If you begin to judge someone based upon what they have, then what you're saying is you know better than what God does what is best for them. I know Tons of people who love Jesus Christ with all of their hearts. And probably if you got a chance to get to know them, you might find they're the most generous people alive. They, they live the principles that God has given and they are blessing the world. And now God's given them a platform with people that some of us would never have. They're influencing people for Jesus Christ. Why would we want to stop that? Thanks for those three people that agree with that. Proverbs 30 and verses 8 and 9 says this, Give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me only my daily bread. Otherwise, I might have too much and disown you and say, Who is the Lord? Or I may become poor and steal and so dishonor the name of God. Let's be honest today. God does the promoting. And if he gives you the chance to make large sums of money, it is a great joy to use it to help others and influence our world for Jesus Christ. When God promotes, leverage your influence, and he will continue to bless. Wisdom gives us a chance to leverage our influence. We can't solve our problems with the same thinking we have used to create them. So listen, if you're in a mess and you're thinking, I'm just going to keep doing and use the same thinking that I had before. Remember I said last week, we're the greatest influencers in our lives. We influence with our thoughts and actions. So if you're thinking you're going to get out of this problem by thinking the same way you thought to get into that, you won't get out of it. Wisdom. Let it speak to you. Let it become more than knowledge and let you apply that wisdom. And when you do, your wisdom gives you an opportunity to influence others. So whatever that matter is, your marriage, your business, your family, your relationship, there's always a way out with Jesus. I like to say it this way. If you find yourself in a mess... Just keep this in mind. Every good catch that you've ever seen in football had to start with a bad pass. Seriously, have you ever seen those guys make these miraculous catches? Like they're way out here or they, they dive way out there or in the Super Bowl, catch one on your, your helmet. It often starts with a bad pass. Started. It wasn't supposed to happen, but somehow someone was skilled in their craft. Someone had the ability and they took what they worked hard at and they took what shouldn't have happened because they worked hard at it and they made the catch. And all of a sudden, now everyone knows them. Why? Because they worked hard and now they have influence like they've never had before. And I believe with all my heart that the church should be the greatest influencer in the world. And you know who the church is? It's us. And it's not the church that gathers on Sunday morning. It's the church that's dispersed after the services and goes to their neighbors, goes to their marketplace, goes to the schools, and goes to the world. Are people listening to you because of the way you live your life? Would you stand with me in closing? I'd like to pray over us as we head out today. I'm going to pray a prayer blessing on us because I believe that we are the hope of the world. And I believe that we should be. And I believe that God has made all of us in a unique way. You don't have to be someone else. You don't have to be me and I don't have to be you. And so we don't need to be jealous of other people. God's given you a gift package, a skill package. Just become the best at it so that you can influence the world. Be the best neighbor, be the best worker, and be the best manager of your money so that you can influence the world. I want to pray over you today. Father God, I pray in an unusual way over those here in the main and those in the link and those who are watching by internet those of us who call ourselves Christ followers, God, you have given us skills and abilities and talents. You've given us a chance to make a difference in our world. But God, it must begin with us. Some of us have gotten into bad habits and bad patterns and we're angry at the world and we don't like our position in life and all we do is complain and gripe and and we're not willing to work hard. We expect we're not willing to step in and work hard at it. God, I pray. I pray for spirit and a yearning for growth. I pray. I pray for a hunger to hone our crafts. I pray for a love for our neighbors like we've never had before. I pray that we will be willing to do whatever it takes. Takes to live with integrity. I pray that we wouldn't compromise on our convictions. I pray that we would never go down in order to get promoted up. I pray, God, that we would stand out in our world by the way we love you and love others. I pray, God, that when we walk in wisdom, that you would give us an unusual, unusual influence in our world. So that the world can be won by Jesus. I pray, God, for every person in this room, in the link, and around the world that's listening. I pray, God, that the world would notice them because of their love for Jesus, and their work ethic, and their willingness to do whatever it takes to make you look good, God, please. And I pray that one by one in the workplace, one by one in the homes, one by one in the schools, one by one in the marketplace, and one by one in our world, people would come to us because there's something different about us and it's Jesus Christ. Thank you, God. We've heard the word today. I pray that it becomes more than knowledge, that it becomes wisdom that we live our lives with. We ask this in the strong and mighty and powerful name of Jesus Christ.